Lord Jesus, today we thank you for the wonderful sense of your presence in this place. Lord, we thank you for the sense of your love here and the security that that gives us. Again, today we can truly say the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercy again today is as fresh, is as new, is as powerful, is as relevant for every need and area of our lives. We just want to say thank you for it, Jesus. We rest in it. We feel secure in it. And Lord, right now, we just allow it to penetrate all of the areas of our lives. Let it penetrate your mind, church. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It just keeps coming, keeps flowing, keeps coming towards us. Lord, we allow it to penetrate the areas of our mind. Let it heal our minds. If they're broken, let that love, that steadfast love that's so wonderful, let, let it make it whole, Lord, again, I pray. Jesus. Lord, if our hearts are broken, if our lives are heavy, like Faye said, that steadfast love, it washes, it washes away. Lord, anything that stands in its way, or hinders us. So Lord, we just pray that we would just rest in that today, feel secure in that, because it's brand new for us. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You can be seated. Isn't it fantastic to see Helen up here this morning? Woohoo! Wonderful. Helen and Kyle. As you know, I've had a little, little boy, Sam, and um, she's been really busy being a mum. He's been busy being a dad and playing the drums, but it's so great, you know, when the, when the moment's right that you can return and, and um, serve in the way. She is such a blessing. I'm wonderful to see Pastor Ray with us. Come on! Fantastic! I'm losing my voice. I've got a squeaky voice. Pastor Ray is um, about to go to Africa and minister to many thousands of people in Africa. I tell you now, it's going to be incredible. So please, let's keep Pastor Ray in our prayers and pray for the Word of God to come out of his spirit, which it will mightily, for signs and wonders to be done, for the healings and the deliverances that need to take place. In that, in that nation to take place so that the kingdom of God would go forward greatly. Amen? Amen. Okay. Last week we started to look at um, Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus made a statement to Peter. People were asking who Jesus was and uh, Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And you know, you know, there was a lot of rumors about Jesus as to his identity and as to who he was. And some said he was Elijah. Some people were saying he was Isaiah. And lots of people had lots of opinions. 
And Peter gets this revelation from heaven. And uh, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we looked at that a little bit. I wanted us to concentrate. And again, I want us to begin at this point this morning on the phrase and the sentence and the revelation that Jesus spoke after what Peter said. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 16. I'm just going to read it to you. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus revealed his commitment, his intention, and his work in the future when he made this statement to his disciples. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the disciples, when they heard that, may not have given it the importance that it deserved. Jesus made lots of statements. Jesus taught day and night. Jesus demonstrated the power of God in many, many wonderful ways. So it could have easily have been missed amongst all of the other many teachings and all of the other many words that Jesus spoke. When he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it would have been easy for that statement to have got lost. It would have been easy for the disciples not to have understood the importance that Jesus was attributing to that statement that he made regarding the future of their lives and in in relation to his kingdom coming into the earth. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You go forward months and they're in an upper room and Jesus understands the time that he was going to leave. And they're all jockeying for position. They're wondering who's the greatest. They don't know what's happening. They don't understand that they are on the eve of Jesus being taken and brutally killed on the cross. They don't understand what's happening. And they're in an upper room. And they have no idea what's ahead of them in the hours to come. They go into a garden, Jesus understanding the hour, the hour that he had come for to do his father's will. And even in the tension and even in the fight and the struggle that he went through. Father, if there is any other way, but not my way, not my will, thy will be done. The soldiers come, as is recounted in the scriptures, they take him. They whip him, they beat him, they interrogate him. You see, the gates of hell were trying to prevail against the statement that Jesus had made months before to his disciples. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The hour had come for Satan and and darkness to have their moment trying to break apart the promises of God, trying to break apart the commitment that Jesus had outlined to his disciples in the course of every everyday life, 
that they may have missed, that they may have not attributed any importance to. And suddenly he's on a cross and he's dying. And maybe the onlooker, maybe to the world, maybe to the demonic hosts that were, that were so aggressive against him and opposing him on every front. Maybe they thought that that word that he had spoken so clearly and so directly, maybe they thought that it was the end of it. We'll see what comes of you, Jesus. We'll see what comes of the statement that you made. You're not going to build anything. We're going to break down what you intended to build by crucifying you, by killing you. We'll see what comes of your words. We'll see. If you can stand beyond this moment, he dies on the cross as we know. He was taken and he was laid in Joseph's tomb. Jesus was buried. And everything he said was buried with him, church. And the world and the demonic powers that ruled those hours had their victory, had their moment, had their hour of triumph. All buried in the ground. All of the wonderful miracles that he'd done. All of the wonderful statements that he had made. The wisdom, the revelation, the freedom, the anointing, the power. All buried in the grave. But on the third day, the third day, the Bible says that God raised Jesus from the dead just like Jesus said he would. Just like he said he would. And he's back on his feet. The night, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Jesus had risen from the dead. Sunday night, you would have thought that the church was ready to go. You would have thought that the church would have been, would have been so zealous to achieve all that Jesus had promised them. But instead of that, you see them in John chapter 20 behind locked doors. The church was in a bad state. The church were in a fearful state. And this was the church, this was the company of people that Jesus had said that he was going to build. But you know what I love about Jesus? He doesn't mind all of the fears and all of the all of the. All of the frailties that we have. He doesn't mind the weaknesses that we carry. He doesn't even care if we lock the doors and say, no, we can't face our Jerusalem anymore. We've seen what our Jerusalem did to you. And we feel that if it did that to you, it's going to do it to us. He doesn't mind all of that. His purpose is still going to prevail. His purpose is still going to go forward. His church is still going to be built. It doesn't matter what excuse we find. It doesn't matter what reasons we have. It doesn't matter what we've gone through in the past. It doesn't matter if you've failed him. It doesn't matter what you've, what you've done. I'm telling you now, the hand of God is on your life. You are the church and you're going to be everything that he has designed for you to be. Come hello, high water, friends. It doesn't matter because Jesus has said, if he said, I will build my church, build it, he is gonna, he, that's what he's going to do. He's going to build it. And these men, 
women behind closed doors because of fear of the Jews. And he goes in, he doesn't give them a long sermon. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't talk about the triumphs and the victories and, and how he'd conquered hell and the grave. He doesn't talk about, you know, all of the things that he'd achieved as a result of dying on the cross. Simply he walks in and says, peace be unto you. Oh, man. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Incredible. I tell you now, man, there's nobody like Jesus. There is nobody like Jesus. We'd, we'd be there. I'm telling you now, what would you, what would you have said? What would have I have said? We'd have had this big, long speech. This big, long recital of how important we are and what we've done. And Jesus just walks in, man. Peace be unto you. And then he begins to teach them. He begins to invest in them. He begins to empower them. You jump forward a, a month or two, and they're again hidden away in an upper room. Acts chapter 2. Hiding. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem. You see, he will tell you to go back to the place that you fear most. He's not going to hide away. They'd crucified him in Jerusalem. He'd been tortured in Jerusalem. He'd gone on trial in Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem was against Jesus. And the very place that the disciples feared to go, Jesus said, get back to Jerusalem. Get in there. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid. You've got nothing to fear. What's the worst they can do to you? And they did it. Oh, yeah, they did it. But those disciples went into Jerusalem. They thought, well, maybe we could go in an upper room. He didn't say to go to an upper room, but they hid away in an upper room, 120 of them. Yeah. Hallelujah. 120 of them in an upper room. And maybe they looked around the room and they said, well, this is the church then. This is the church. 120 of us. Well, at least we've got 120. They hid away. Maybe, I don't know. And they were praying. They had all their stats. 120 this week. Hallelujah. Numbers came into Peter. 120. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe next week, there'll be 130. You never know. God's so good, isn't he? Or the week after, you never know. It might grow to 135. You know, we, we, we're not like Jesus. And we know we're not going to grow like he grew. His, his ministry, you know. You know, well, well I, I'm Peter and I denied Jesus. And, and I'm Thomas and I didn't believe that he'd risen from the dead. And there's too many things, you know about us that would disqualify us. We've got a slow beginning. We've got a slow start. And our, grow can't be, our growth can't be on the level that Jesus was at. But Jesus had said, wait in Jerusalem until the promise. Holy Spirit comes. My God. 
when in John chapter 20, they breathed on him and said, receive the Spirit. Now, maybe they thought that the Spirit was in that gentle breath that Jesus breathed because he breathed on them. And that would be right to think that. Maybe they thought that the coming Holy Spirit would be like the gentle dove that came when he was in the Jordan and he got baptized. And, and, you know, the Father spoke and said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit so gently descended on Jesus and he was taken into the wilderness for 40 days and nights. Maybe they thought that it was going to be like that. But when they were in one place, in one accord, the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He came in a way that they did not expect. He came in a way that they couldn't imagine. He burst into that room. The Bible says that it was a sound from heaven. Oh, there'd been a lot of noise in the streets of Jerusalem. There had been a lot of criticism about the church. They'd complained. They'd, they'd tried to, to stamp out this new sect. That's what they called it. There had been a lot of, a lot of backlash, a lot of opinion, a lot of, a, a, a lot of obstacles. And then the sound from heaven came like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the place where they were sitting. And, and there was fire, visible fire. You see, we are a supernatural people. Who knows? Who knows what God can do? And suddenly, the Spirit of God comes with such force and power. I don't know what it was like. I wish I did. I wish I knew what it was like to be in a situation like that. And they were driven out onto the street and Peter begins to preach for the first time. He'd never preached before. Have you ever preached before? Who knows what the Lord might do with your life? Who knows when that fire burns in you? Today you may be be like a disciple, hidden away. I find it hard to tell people about Jesus. I find it difficult to communicate my faith. That's all right. He'll get you to the place where he needs you to be. He didn't take them on a teaching course. He He didn't take them into some kind of school hidden away, and this is what you've got to say to them when you're in front of them. No, he took them back into the place that they feared most. And then through, through the fire and the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they went out onto the street. They could never have done that. They couldn't have done it. We can't do it. We can't. We can't do it. We can do the best that we can do, And God is pleased with that. But then the fire of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's Spirit, enables you to speak on His behalf. And great 
is the outcome. You know what? In moments, in moments, that place was too small. In moments, too small. They would never, ever go back to that room again. They'd never be thinking the thoughts, I may be, I, may, I, I wonder whether next week we're going to have 130. Never, ever thought that again. You see, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is capable of. I've read what he's capable of. But in, in my experience, I've seen a little bit, a little teeny bit. But he is so incredible. He is so incredible. He can do anything. He can. For us. For us as his people. As his church. He can do the most unusual things. So they start to move. And God starts to empower them. I had this thought just this week. Just thinking about this. And I've mentioned this before. The greatest book in the Bible is not called the book of good intentions. It's called the book of Acts. The book of Acts. And it's great to have good intentions. It's nice. But intention achieves nothing. But anointed action changes everything. Anointed action changes everything. That's why James said this. Faith without works, is dead. He was, he was kind of saying, listen, you can have faith. You can have all of the great intentions of a Bible-based faith. You can have all of the great intentions of a godly life. You can have all of the great intentions to reach your world, to reach your family, to reach the people that are around you, whether it's in work or in the community or where you study. You can have all of the great intentions that you want, but until those intentions come together and are brought together in, with faith and works, your faith is dead. And suddenly, these men that had intentions to meet the world... These men that heard the words of Jesus that commanded them to go into Jerusalem, then to Samaria, then to Galilee, and then to the ends of the world, no longer had intentions now. They had actions. Actions. And they were moving and doing what Jesus wanted them to do. There's a big difference between intention and action. A big difference. I want to read to you this morning. <clears throat> We're not going to.
be able to maybe do all of this this week, but we can pick it up along the way. I want to read to you this morning from Acts chapter 3. Two men going to a temple. Two men ready to act, ready to get involved, ready, willing, aware, aware. They walked with a constant awareness that God was with them, God was for them, God was in them, and God was ready to act. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 16 says this. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, With John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet, ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead. This is the guy who was in a room behind locked doors, friends. This is a guy that was afraid to go to Jerusalem. This is a guy that when the pressure was on, backed off and denied Jesus three times. But something happened in that room. Something came into his spirit. Fire of God changed him. He was a different man whereby he walked down the road. He walked into Jerusalem. He walked into the temple fearlessly, and declared the word of God. Not condemning them, but telling them the truth. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, 
Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him perfect soundness in the presence of you all. When you read this, you begin to see, for me, when I read it, the value that God places on one, one person. The value that, the value that we should all place on one person, the person before us. They were going to the temple, to the hour of prayer, possibly 20,000 people in that temple. But they weren't, they weren't caught up in all of that. They didn't care about that. They didn't care about numbers. They didn't care about the importance that people had paid to that specific religious hour. Thousands of people had walked past this man on this day. In fact, thousands of people walked past this man every day. He was laid at the gate beautiful every day of his life. Thousands, tens of thousands walked in and out of the temple for their religious duties and they passed him by. They ignored him. They didn't acknowledge him. They threw a couple of coins at him. He was an interruption to them. He was an inconvenience to them. They didn't pay him any respect. They just walked on by. Why? Because they had to get to their service on time. But you see, church begins outside of the service. Service, true service, is not in the service. Service is out there in the world. Anointed service. Peter stops. Nobody else had stopped. Peter and John stop. And they give the man what they have. In the name of Jesus, he rises to his feet and he just starts going crazy, man. This is the power of God in operation. This is going to change the religious environment into which they're about to go into. They can't control the guy. They can't stop him declaring God's word. He's leaping. He's jumping. He's dancing. Now imagine that in a very tight, religious, strict setting. And this guy's completely flipped, jumping up and down, praising God. And this despised man, this man that has no hope, this man that's, that's been left on the sidelines, suddenly becomes an instrument that God uses. Let's be aware in these times as God's church. There may be one person in your workplace a lame area of their life that others pass by, a lame area in their life that, that others can do nothing with. Maybe you're God's messenger, you're God's instrument, you're the person that's going to see the power of God released into their life. And great will be the effect. Great will be the cause of Jesus. Many passed this man. On this day, many left him, many ignored him. I'm going to ask James to come. We're going to close in a minute. Do you know, it reminded me when I read this in Acts chapter 3, it reminded me of a story that Jesus once told about a man that was dying on the Jericho Road. And a Levite and a priest. were confronted with that man's need. They had all of the religious attire on. Visibly, you could see what they represented. 
But the priest had a cold heart. He wore the law, the scriptures, on his right hand in a little box. The first five books of the law were on his, were on his wrist. And he walked on by. Levite came. He had all of the historical heritage. Well, I've grown up in church. Have you? Well, I've got all of this history behind me. My dad, my grandfather, my great-grandfather were religious. And yet, with all of that historical heritage that the Levite had, walked by, cold, brutally cold. And then, you got the Good Samaritan. And the Bible says he stopped. We know the story. He got down. He poured in the oil and the wine. He put that man, that dying man, on his donkey, took him to an inn, paid the innkeeper, and promised to pay anything more that that man needed when he returned. This story in Acts chapter 3 is no different to the story that Jesus told on the Jericho Road. You see, history repeats itself all the time. All the time. People in our world, you can see it. You go up and down this city, broken, hurt, confused. It just repeats itself all the time. These are not stories and incidents that are detached from our day. They're as relevant today as they, as they ever were, as when they first happened. People broken, people walking by, passing by. I'm all right, Jack. You get on with your life. You get on with your stuff. I've got enough stuff to, to get on with myself. Walking by. No, the church doesn't walk by. The church stops. The church sees. The church is moved with compassion. The church that Jesus builds sees. And it's his hands and feet. And together, collectively, that is what we, that is one of, the, one, one of the calls that we are called to meet. At least 5,000 people passed this man on that day when Peter and John took him by the hand and raised him to his feet. At least 5,000. Because Acts chapter 4 verse 4 tells us that as a result of what happened in this man's life, 5,000 came to Christ. So we know that 5,000 passed him, but two decided not to. Two decided to be faithful with a small opportunity. My God, if only we could see and be faithful with something small. So many people discard the small. They want the big. Their eyes are on the big. Forget the big. It's in the small. Take the small. Take hold of the small. Seize the moment. Grab it. Say, this is mine. And they were faithful with something small that everybody ignored, that everybody saw as inconvenient. And they lifted him to their feet. And they were entrusted with much. It's all in there. The church... 120 goes from 3,000 to 8,000, and then they begin to multiply. And, and, and after that, it's wonderful. You read the book of Acts, and they, stop, they actually stop counting. 
They stop counting. They can't, they can't calculate it anymore because of Holy Ghost. Maybe our expectation today of the Holy Spirit is very low. And I, I, listen, I'm talking about myself. And I'll tell you why. Just because. In many ways, we're like Gideon in that wine press, threshing our little bit of wheat. And the angel comes to us and says, mighty, mighty church, valiant warrior. And we say, but Lord, we're the least. We're on, the, we're on a broken street in a broken city. Where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? Oh, we'll see the miracles. We'll see the signs and wonders. And it won't be a result of any personality or person. It's just going to be a result of the Holy Spirit coming and doing His work. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus praise. This morning. We're going to pray in a, in, a, in a few minutes. Maybe today you're here, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Oh, man. Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Jesus is so wonderful. He's the Prince of Peace. He's not going to bombard you. He's just going to give you his love. He really is. Maybe today you want to ask him into your heart. This is going to be the greatest day of your life. This is going to be a day, a moment that you're never going to forget. There's people all around you that have had that moment, that moment where Jesus just floods in with his love, that moment where Jesus just floods in with his peace and you're washed, you're forgiven, all the shame is gone, everything that you carried in your bags that were so heavy, suddenly it's gone. Doesn't mean to say that life is easy. Doesn't mean to say that, that there won't be challenges in the future. But now Jesus, the Prince of Peace is living in you. I'm going to ask you right now maybe just to close your eyes as God's people. We're going to pray for people here. Maybe today you're here. You've been coming for a number of weeks. You've never made a decision. Oh, please, please. Let not another day pass. Please. Let not another day pass when you walk out of this place not knowing him. He loves you so much. And he just wants to wrap his arms around you. Don't be afraid. I'm going to pray right now. And I... If you want to ask Jesus into your life, I want you to pray this prayer quietly, not out loud, quietly in your heart. He will hear it. Jesus will hear that prayer. And he will come into your heart in a wonderful way. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I ask you today, Will you forgive me of my sin? I ask you today. Please come into, into my heart. I believe that you died for me on the cross. Somehow I believe that you're alive as well. As a result of being here, I actually believe that you're alive. That you want to help me. That you want to be my friend. 
that you want to forgive me, that you want to make me new. I believe that today. Somehow, I accept you as my Savior. Now, while eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you quietly just lift your hands up? We'll give you a little Bible. Is there one person? Wait a few moments. Lift your hand up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We'll give you a Bible. That's it, James. Good boy. And you, lovely. Look at these children. We'll wait a few moments. Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Amen. We're nearly at the close of the service. Church, <clears throat> we are living in wonderful days. We really are. And the Holy Spirit is going to help us, teach us, counsel us, empower us in these days to do what He has called us to do. And I want I want in my life to be aware, to have an increased awareness of what He wants to do. I don't want my life to completely sink into what I want all the time. There are things that we all have to attend to that are important. But let's always keep our eyes, our hearts, our minds open to what He wants. Because he's building his church. Amen. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against this church. Amen.